Can you hear me? That's sad. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good morning again. And happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Let's hear a round of applause for our mothers. There we go. We appreciate you. I have not, you know, gotten to experience all of you mothers, but um, I'm sure you are appreciated. And if you're not, you know, kids, any of you are children out there, appreciate your mothers, all right? Let's do it. They deserve at least a day, am I right? <laughs> Give them that. All right. Um, so happy Mother's Day, and I am taking charge today. Pastor Justin and his wife, uh, Evie, they are on vacation, a well-deserved vacation, I might add. Um, so while they are away, I get the opportunity to preach here this morning. Um, before getting in the message, only announcement, which we've been talking about um, for many weeks now, now we're in the middle of it, would be love groups. If you haven't joined one, it's boy. And today, I get to continue in the story of David in what is probably the most famous story of David for sure and is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, if not the most famous. Uh, it, it's up there, man. It, I guess it's probably not the most, but it's, it's, it's high. And that is David and Goliath. So we are getting in that today. I can't believe Pastor Justin let me have this one. Am I right? <laughs> he warned me, though, when he told me I was going to be preaching this one. He said, look, it's a long chapter, and there's a lot in it. And so you're going to struggle. Like, you're going to have a hard time figuring out what you're going to focus on because you can't preach it all. And, uh, man, was he right. Um, I've been working my way through it, and I, I decided, so I'll get to that, but I decided we'll preach through the whole thing. Um, but man, you have to you have to really pick and choose because I could do verse by verse if I re if we really wanted, um, but we won't, not today anyway. Um, so we're going to continue in the story of David and this story of David and Goliath and that battle that went on. We're going to examine it on three different levels, and I need you to listen to this because otherwise you you might miss the the flow of the sermon because it's a little bit tricky in in this aspect. Um, we're going to talk about it on three different levels. First of all, what did it mean for Israel? Okay, basically, what's the story? Like, let's talk about the story. What did it mean for Israel? What did it mean for David? What did it mean for the army? What did it mean for the nation, the people as a whole? We're going to talk about that, okay? Um, so we're as we go through the story, probably mo for the most part we read the scripture, then that'll be the first part we're going to examine, okay? Uh, what did it mean for Israel in this story? The second thing we're going to examine, though, is what does it mean for all humankind? And what we're talking about there, for the most part, is the salvation story. If you didn't know, the Bible is a collection of a bunch of stories, but it's one story. Okay, and that's kind of the idea is we're going to look at how this story fits into the, the big story of the Bible, the salvation story, the gospel message, the good news, the fact that Jesus died for us, all of those things we're going to look at in this story, okay? That's that's two. Everyone say two. Three. Everyone say three. Okay? Third, we're going to look at what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? And that is the application for today. And now most sermons do this in one form or another. But today I want to do this at every single location as we walk through it. So please keep that in mind. And if you want, as you're taking notes, you can even write like, uh, uh, Israel, humankind, me, right? And just make sure you, you keep those separated. Um, but for me, we're talking about application for today. What is the battle you're fighting today? Who are you fighting? Um, what victory are you looking for in your life? All those things we're going to get to. And that's what we're talking about, all right? But I want you to track with me. And here's, I'm going to set the scene for you, all right? So let's start this off. Setting the scene, I'm not going to read the scripture, um, but we're, I'm going to describe it to you. Here's the deal. Israel finds themselves positioned in a battle, for battle, against the Philistines. They're not engaged yet, but the Philistines, if you didn't know it, are pretty much their worst enemy. Um, they've been there for a long time now, and Israel has battled, battled them all throughout. Uh, and the Philistines are one of the only ones left. At this time, Israel has a decent amount of land, and they've got their one nation, and they're doing good things. 
Um, they're not they're not being conquered by anybody currently, but the Philistines are still there, um, and they have possession of a part of the sea land, and that should be Israel's land, and Israel knows that, and the Philistines know it should be, but um, of course they don't agree with that, and that causes battles. The Philistines are fighters, they're warriors, they're big, um, and and it's it's not a pretty sight. So. The Philistines are the ones who engage in this, and they come, and they line up for battle against Israel. Israel comes, and they line up. And what it is, the scripture describes it as two hills with a valley in between. By the way, guys, I'm going to set the scene. Um, <laughs> so the two hills with a valley in between, and the army of the Philistines is on the other side. Army of Israel is on this side. Okay? Valley in between. Hill. Valley, hill, army, valley, army. We hear that, okay? This is the scene because, again, as we go through this story and as we look at it from the three different perspectives, picture this. Hill, valley, hill, okay? Now, what does this mean for Israel? First of all, it means imminent battle, okay? Again, they haven't engaged yet, but bat battle's no fun. Nobody wants to be in battle. But, well, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, but uh, imminent battle, obviously death is associated with that. Nobody wants that to happen. Um, potentially losing the fight. So the big picture, death, that you, you, you lose the fight ultimately. As a result of losing the fight, shame, um, because now the, you, you lost that battle and um, the Philistines might oppress you. And that brings a lot of shame. You're also, you're supposed to be God's children. And so if you're conquered by another nation, that doesn't look good for you, doesn't look good for God. Um, and along with that comes the idea that their axioms or their, their core beliefs might be challenged in this situation. Because if they lose this battle and they're supposed to be the children of God and this is supposed to be their land, and yet the Philistines just conquer them, where's God? What happens? Are we doing something wrong? Is God doing something wrong here? Does God exist? Um, what, whatever happens to the promises that he's made to us. And so I want you to, to think about those consequences. It's, it's serious. It's serious stuff. It's not, it's not to be you know, trifled with. It's nothing small. And there's a valley and there's an army. And what that valley and that army stand in the way of for Israel is Israel's destiny. Because Israel's destiny is to inherit this land, right? Israel's destiny is to rule this land, to be their own people. God promises that this to them time and time again. He says, like, this land will be yours, the promised land, right? Um, that you will be your own people, and I will be your God, that... Um, you'll have your own king. Now, it was originally supposed to be God, right? As we learned about uh, two weeks ago, it was originally supposed to be God, but now it's they asked for their own king, and so now they're getting what they want. But either way, God says, okay, but you're still supposed to be a nation that lives for me, that has your own king, your own God, and you're, they're supposed to multiply, and they're supposed to remain in the promise of God because God has big things planned for them, and if the Philistines conquer them, uh, and start to suppress them, where are the big plans? Where are these big things happening? And again, it's, it's, it's a tricky situation, but I want you to view valley, army, and all both of those things stand in the way of Israel's destiny. Sure, Philistines came, but now Israel has to, has to take that battle on um, otherwise, the Philistines are winning because, again, the Philistines are in their land already. So if they don't take it on, if they don't conquer the Philistines, then the Philistines are winning. And that's what stands in the way of Israel's destiny. Bigger picture. Let's go to the humankind. From the beginning, from the beginning, humankind was destined for eternity with God. That's our destiny, human destiny, eternity with God. And eternity with God doesn't just mean living forever. It means being where God is, being made like God, uh, being like God, like living like God, right? Looking like God, having his image and his likeness and carrying it out fully 
uh, destined for eternity with God also does mean forever. It does mean that it, it shouldn't end, that there should be no reason. And it also means nothing in the way. It means, means no barriers. It means no walls. It's, it's no, no valleys, no, no hills, nothing in the way, no armies. That's what we were destined for. But very quickly, some things got in the way. Very quickly, an army showed up. Very quickly, there was a valley. And that is called sin and death. Sin and death got in the way. This is the valley, and this is the army. Sin and death. Even if you're, you're wandering through the valley of sin, okay, death is on, a way, on its way. And you, you have to face up against that army as well. Sin and death are in the way. And, might I add, um, the Philistines weren't an unbeatable force. Uh, but they were they were extremely strong, and Israel did not want to fight them, obviously, because they're in a stalemate here. Uh, sin and death is an unbeatable <laughs> force. We can't conquer sin and death. Okay, no human can can conquer that. So now here's mankind, like picture mankind on this hill, with God and eternity as our destiny on the other side of that. But now we've got this hill, we've got this army, we've got this valley, we've got sin, we've got death in our way. And no hope. We've got nothing but this, this pit of sin in our lives, in our way. And the only thing we have to look forward to beyond that is death. That's the situation all of humanity finds itself stuck in. But now how about today? How about you? How about right now? We all find ourselves in this situation every single day as well. We're destined, hear this, we're destined to have purpose, to have hope, to have health, to have unity, to have love, to have joy. We're, we are created to have all those things, and God promises us all of those things. But who here has health at all times? Who here has hope at all times? And purpose at all times and unity love joy it, it, it doesn't happen why because the challenges of, of life get in the way we're, we're we're on this hill the destiny the goal the promises of God are right there but life and challenges get in the way the error of our own ways gets in the way our sins the pursuit of the wrong things if we pursue the wrong things, we're stuck in that valley and we'll never get out because destiny is on the other side. The imminence of death. By imminence of death, I mean, for some of us, that may even be the thoughts that we're thinking, that death is, death is right next door, that death is knocking on our door. Um, or maybe it's that death is close to someone in your family, or maybe it's that someone in your family has died and therefore death is close to you but but sin and death are everywhere and we can't get away from it and it, and it's every day every day sin and death is in our lives the, how about the pressures of the job and the family those things can steal our joy can take away our love and our our, our compassion for humans um, for other people all of these things separate us, or at least try or threaten to separate us from the will and the plan of God taking place in our lives. That's, again, that's the destiny, that's the goal, that's the promise, God's will being worked in my life. That's what I want, that's what I desire, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the troubles of this world, all of those things get in the way and... We have a battle to fight. So let's continue in the story here. First Samuel chapter 17. Probably should have told you that a while ago. First Samuel chapter 17, if you want to turn there. Uh, verse, starting in verse 4. A champion. Underline that. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Pardon me. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod 
and its iron points weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Verse 11, and underline these words, on hearing the Philistine's words. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So let's talk about Goliath. Goliath steps onto the scene, uh, and he defies the army of Israel. Let's talk about this man. Six and, what was it, six, six and a half cubits or something like that. Whatever it is, it's like nine feet, nine inches tall. Okay, not an impossible height. Men have reached that, uh, but a tall height for sure. Uh, and Israel has nobody like that. Nine feet, nine inches tall. He's wearing a helmet of bronze. So you can just picture that. Okay, cool. Helmet of bronze. A corslet of 150 to 200 pounds. And that is not an impossible weight either. That's heavy. That's very heavy, and it would be impractical for Goliath, but he's wearing it, okay, and it's scales of metal all laid upon one another, and it also it comes down to something like his knee, um, which makes it heavier as well. So you got that 150, 200, 200 pounds estimated. Uh, he's got the greaves over his legs, so what those are doing is covering the rest of his legs that, that are uh, under the armor. And this javelin with guess how many pounds this thing is? Twenty-five pounds. Just the head, just the spearhead. Twenty-five pounds. Mm -mm. And a sword in his teeth. Right now, most of this. This is what I was reading. Most of this was for show. In this, as long as Israel is terrified of this man, Philistines are winning. Right? So it's not to say he couldn't fight. This man was a warrior, and as we'll read later, was a warrior from birth. This, he, was, he was trained to do this. He lived to do this. And he's wearing the armor to make this happen. Um, but again, mostly for show. So, so just imagine this, this giant of a man standing out there, calling out to Israel, saying, I defy you, send one person out here. Now, here's the challenge he presents. Okay, I'm going to teach you some pop culture references today. Maybe you know it. I know the guys in the back know this. But it, in video games, in basketball, in whatever it might be, um, when you want to challenge somebody, me versus you, man on man, you say, 1v1 me, bro. 1v1 me, bro. Okay? And that's what Goliath is doing. He's saying, look. Right? We don't have to engage in a battle here. 1v1 me, bro. Send out one guy, your, your best man. I don't care who it is. I will beat all of you 1v1. Okay? None of this cheap stuff. Just send out your best. And if I win, then you'll submit to us. If you win, I'll submit to you. And here's what Goliath is saying to Israel. Hear this. He's saying, I know who you are. You don't stand a chance against me. I know who you are. And I totally forgot to say that that's the, that's the theme of this message. There's a lot of themes really, but I know who you are. And Goliath here says, I know who you are. You don't stand a chance against me. I know how weak you are. I know that you don't have one strong man among you. And look at the response of Saul and the rest of the army. That part underlined there. On hearing the Philistines' words, they were dismayed and terrified. On hearing the Philistines' words, dismayed and terrified. They saw him and they heard him and they said, no, not for me. 
Now I, I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, a champion. We're talking about a champion. Goliath was a champion. That word champion. Ready? Abenayim. Okay, that word uh, means a man between two. Not the word you necessarily think of, a champion. But th- So that's the idea is he is the man who stands between these two armies. He's the man between two fighters. He's, he's the man who, who challenges another fighter, and he is their champion. A man between two. And it's something like you could call it like a volunteer gladiator. says, send me out there. I'll fight somebody one-on-one. And if we all agree that this is how the, the, the rules of the battle will go, then none of us have to get engaged in this long battle. It'll just be a one person versus one person. Obviously, we'll win. I'm Goliath, and they'll be our subjects. A man between two. Crucial for us to understand, and so don't forget that. And if you, if you didn't, write it down. A champion, a man between two. So... That's what it means to Israel. Israel's scared. Israel's terrified. Let's go broad picture. All of humanity. What happens is Satan comes into the world. And he wants to keep us as slaves to sin. Right? We know about the first sin. We know about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. But scripture tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's his current state. That's what he's doing right now today. He's prowling around looking for somebody to devour. We know from the book of Job that he really is just wandering around the earth looking for somebody to take out. And he does take people out. And it all started, though, in the Garden of Eden, right, with that original sin and Satan's original lie to Eve. Just as Goliath presents a challenge to Israel, so Satan presented a challenge to Eve. He said, did God really say that you're not to eat this fruit. Did God really say that you will die? No, you won't die. Surely you won't. I challenge you, eat the fruit. Go for it. God's just afraid of how much you're going to know. Don't you want to be your own master? Like, are you really going to just listen to God here and, and not eat the fruit that you obviously want to eat? You don't need God, is what Satan's saying. I know you, Eve. You're good by yourself, right? Adam, I know you, your wife. But of course, what we always find is that death wins and so does sin. So Satan comes to challenge us uh, with these, 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 things and says, you know what, go go on your own. You can do this. Be your own master. But who wins? Sin and death. Because none of us can conquer those things. Amen? Amen. None of us have power over sin. None of us have power over death. Satan's goal, let's talk about today. Satan's goal today with you, with you, with you, is to keep you from your destiny. What was the destiny we talked about? Right? Joy. From having joy in your life, from having peace, right? From having a purpose, from having meaning, from from loving God, from loving people. Satan's goal is to keep you from following your destiny. And and I keep using the word destiny, and all of that refers to the will of God, right? What God has destined you to be, Satan wants to keep you from. Think about it. How does the wolf attack a sheep, right? Right? It singles out the one that wandered off by itself. Satan wants you to wander off by yourself. Satan wants you to do your own thing. He wants you to leave the shepherd because the shepherd is protection. But if you wander away from the shepherd, if you wander away from from the rest of the the group, that's when Satan attacks. If you wander away from the church, that's when Satan attacks. And he presents the, the challenge that was presented before. It's the same challenge that's presented to us when we encounter um, our sin, when we, when we stand on the edge of that hill and we look at, at the valley of sin, when we look at the armies of death and we say, can I do this on my own? And sometimes we say yes. Sometimes we say, okay, because Satan's whispering in our ear, go it alone. Go for it. 
attack that sin. Sure, you can do it. And so we go it alone. We say, I can fight this. We can say, I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out of this mess, right? You're in the valley. I'm, I'm stuck in the quicksand, but I'll get myself out. Just by, if I keep moving, I'm sure I'll get out of the quicksand. Am I right? So we say that, but then either either we've said that or we're already at this point, but eventually you reach the opposite and you start to realize, I can't do this. I'll never be able to win this is what we start to say. I'm all alone is what we start to say. Where is God now is what we start to say. And we're still stuck in the trench. We're still stuck in the valley of our own sin and muck and mire and the disgustingness of our own filth. And we say, God, where are you? God, how did I get here? I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I guess this is the rest of my life. I guess I'll always be addicted to this substance. I guess I'll always fail at relationships time and time again. I guess I will always be in an unhappy marriage. I guess I will always be stuck in debt. Whatever it might be, Satan wants to get you there. Because there's no joy there, there's no destiny there, there's no purpose. And this sends us into terror and despair, the same way the Israelites were. When faced with this trial, when hearing the enemy's words, Israel went into terror and despair, and we do too. But this is where David enters the scene. This is where things change, and David comes on the scene. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14 through 16. David was the youngest. It kind of recaps here. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, okay, to, out, out battle. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Remember, he's playing music for the king still. So this is still happening, um, and he's going back and forth from Saul. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. For 40 days. 40. How many of you know the number 40? How many of you know the significance of the number 40? All throughout the Bible. 40, for the most part, in a general sense, represents a period of testing or trial, biblically. Some of the biggest examples uh, would be for 40 days and 40 nights, it rained, right, and flooded the earth. That was a great testing, of course, and Noah had to endure that. Uh, for 40 years, Israel wandered in the wilderness because they had failed to honor God. And so God said, I'm going to test you. None of you who are currently living are going to enter, the but the next generation, they'll enter the promise. But it's going to be after 40 years of testing. 40 years. How about Jesus' temptation? How long did he spend in the desert fasting and being tempted by Satan? 40 days and 40 nights. So here we have a, a trial, a temptation, a challenge coming forth to Israel for 40 days. And notice as well what David is still doing. Tending sheep, playing music for the king. In other words, insignificant work. Now, you might think playing music for the king, that's pretty cool. Um, if you're a musician in the house, you're like, yeah, absolutely, I want to play for the king. But uh, it's, it's nothing that's going to get him the kingship. It's not going to get him to his destiny. Am I right? Okay? Because his destiny is to be king. It's already been anointed. God has already uh, uh, anointed David to be the next king over Israel. And he's still tending sheep and still playing music for the king. Still plucking his harp. Insignificant work. His destiny as king is still far off from what he's doing. Picture David. Valley, army, I got to play music, I got to keep tending sheep. Somewhere over the horizon there must be a destiny for me to be king, but I, I'm, I'm in the valley. I am still tending sheep. I am still just playing music. But he serves faithfully, but he continues to do it. As we learned last week, he, he does it well. So what happens is Jesse sends David to bring his brother some food and supplies. He says, okay, David, you know what? 
go grab somebody else, go grab Billy Bob and have him watch this cheese for you. And you take this cheese and go over to, it does say cheese, uh, and go to your brothers and give them some supplies, some food, and come back with a report to me how they're doing, how's the battle going. And uh, so we jump back in here, verse 23 through 24. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the, uh, that's David talking with uh, the soldiers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. Forty days. Comes out, shouts his usual defiance, probably on that 40th day. And David heard him. And David heard him. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David gets to witness this firsthand. And he hears it. David heard it. And I got to ask you, what do you hear? When the enemy speaks to you, because we already went over that. that, that's what the enemy wants you to do, says, this is what you'll always be, you'll always be stuck in sin, you'll always be stuck, you'll always be destined to die, there is no future, there is no hope, you have no purpose, you have no meaning, you'll never have joy, how are you going to find it in this life, how are you going to find it at this job, how are you going to find peace with this thing going on, uh, with, with this cancer, with this disease, with this illness, you're never going to be able to find it. That's what Satan continues to tell us. But what do you hear when the enemy says those things to you? When you're confronted with the existential problems of, of death and of sin, when, you, when you're standing at the top of the hill looking down at the valley of sin and the armies of death, what do you actually see? And when you're in the midst of trial and testing, when, when you get that bad report, when you you hear that bad diagnosis when you get that bad news when that person says that thing to you when they when they tell you how they really feel when you're in the middle of trial and testing when your finances don't line up what do you hear what do you actually see do you hear this is the point do you hear the voice of the enemy as your destiny or as the lie that it is because that's what Satan wants you to think, that the valley is the destination, that that's as, as good as it's ever going to get, that being stuck there is, is, is the rest of your life, that this stalemate between these armies, that that's it, that it doesn't get any better than that. But David heard. But David heard. And David asks what the big deal is. He says, who's this guy? What's happening? Why are you all terrified and running away? And so the guys explained to him, they said, well, I mean, whoever beats this guy, um, they'll get riches. And so let me tell you, from my perspective, I'm like, okay, riches, oh, all right, sure, that's kind of cool. Um, but he says, hey, whoever beats this, they'll get riches. And um, so, okay, cool. Uh, whoever beats this guy, the king will give him his, his daughter's hand in marriage. And it, I'm like, I'm happily married. I'm, I'm cool. So from my, again, from my perspective, I'm like, yeah, okay. But this last one gets me. Whoever beats this guy will be exempt from taxes. Him and his family exempt from taxes. Oh, my goodness. Sign me up. In all seriousness, with those rewards on the line, still nobody has dared to face Goliath. That does show you how terrifying this man is to them. But David heard it, and now David hears, hey, tax exemption, all right, the king's daughter, I'm still a young man, I haven't married anyone yet, like, hey, that sounds good to me too, hey, and I'm supposed to be king, that lines up, that makes a lot of sense, uh, and hey, some riches to, on the side, that sounds good to me. Uh, so David's response. And a lot of people really like this verse. Uh, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David's shouting this out. And one of David's brothers, Eliab, who is the oldest, who should be the strongest, who should be the guy to maybe fight Goliath, uh, who should be the one most in line to be king someday. Um, and we learned about him last week. That was the first one who who Jesse was like, hey, here's my oldest. And um, Samuel looked at him, and he was like, yeah, this is the guy. And God said, nope. So Eliab, he hears David talking all this smack, 
uh, about being able to to defeat this Philistine. And he says, hey, David, I know why you're here. I know how evil you are. I know I know who you are. Says, David, I know who you are. And I know. That you just came here to watch us die. You just came here to watch the battle, to watch us die and put our lives on the line. So stop talking like this because I know how evil you are. And so David says, uh, his response is actually really funny. Um, he says, am I not allowed to speak? And uh, he continues to talk. It says he, he turns away and he talks to somebody else. And the guy told him the same thing, like, hey, you get riches, all this stuff. And so uh, David continues to say the same thing. Who is this guy? Who is this fool? I pity the fool. And so news about this spreads throughout the camp, and then it reaches Saul's ears. Saul being, of course, the king, the general, he's the man. Uh, and he says, all right, bring this young man to me. Uh, and David comes before him, and David says, I got this. I'll beat this guy up. And Saul's response, he says, I know who you are. I know who you are, David. You're tiny. <laughs> I know who you are. You can't fight him. You are young. You are a shepherd. This man has been a warrior since he was young, since before your age even. He has been fighting. He's been trained to do this. He's nine feet, nine inches tall, David. Um, no. So Saul says, I know who you are, and you can't do this either. And here is David's response to Saul. And this is where we'll jump back into the scripture, verse 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, Whew. struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of who? The living God. Last verse. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David points to his past victories. And that's something we can do, and I could, you, know, you could preach a sermon just on that. I'm not going to, but David points to his past victories Right? He says, lions and bears and this Philistine, oh my, I got him. Thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs> we got to stay on the path. Got to stay on the yellow brick road. Um, all right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I am way off now. Now I'm thinking about courage. Like he needs courage and stuff, too. All right. Uh, here we go. David talks about his past victories, right? The lions, the bears. And he says, this Philistine is going to be the same thing. It's, it's, I can equate it all together because you know why? Because God gave me the victory. Because the, the, the living God is the one who rescued me. And he calls him the living God. And if you look into the details of those, that word, there's two different uh, names that are translated living God. One of them means the God who is alive which is normally how we would probably interpret that if we read that living God. Oh, God, he's alive. And that's something to celebrate because God is active and alive and, and he isn't dead. That's awesome. But there is another one, and that name more accurately means the God of life, the God of life who controls the living, the God of life. And that's the one that David uses here. He calls him the God of life. Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. You know this one, maybe. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. The living God. Joshua, who calls on the living God, says, says you know he will drive out these armies. And David calls on the same God, the same living God, the God of life, the God who determines life and death. And David calls on him and says, he's going to drive out this army. He's going to allow me to win this battle. The Lord won those battles. He beat the bear. He beat the lion. He beat the, the Girgashites. He'll win this one. Now, here's the key here. 
talking about what it meant for David and Israel. David knew that God would go before him. We talk about David and Goliath type battles, right? You got that small town team, right? Small town football team who only has 22 guys on the roster, right? And they're facing the big city, strong, won championships 17 million years in a row, and they've got all 53 guys on their roster, and there's no way they're going to beat them. It's a David versus Goliath situation. But let me tell you, that's not the type of battle we have here. It's not David versus Goliath. It's Goliath versus the living God. And David calls on that. This is exactly why David didn't hear what everyone else heard. He heard what Goliath said, but he didn't hear the same thing. This is why he didn't see what they saw. He saw Goliath. He saw the armor. He saw the height. He saw the spear. He saw the sword. But he didn't see the same thing. This was not a battle David could fight on his own. David saw that, I'm sure. But he wasn't alone. And that's what David knew. And this is what allows him to see something different, to hear something different. And if we're looking into the precipice and the valley and and the armies that are before us, and we're looking at sin and we're looking at death, if we can't see anything other than that, then we're going to remain stuck in terror and fear. But if we can see who is with us, and who is with us, big picture, Christ has gone before us, and he's done what we could not do. David says, I know the living God will walk before me. I know that the living God will give me this victory. And that's what Christ has done for us, because all of humanity is lined up here, standing, looking at this valley, and looking at this opposing army, and knowing that destiny is out of reach, that we can never get there on our own, that that heaven, that eternity, that God is separated from us and will always be separated from us, unless somebody goes out there and somebody does something, and we can't. But Christ has. Christ has gone before us and done what we could not do. When we were lost in our sin and our destiny was death, Christ took that upon himself. Christ ventured out into the valley of sin and death and temptation, and he battled the enemy of our souls, conquering all of it. And this is why today, right now, you and me have to trust in God with the battles that we face today because it might be scary it might be tall it might be big the odds might be against us we got everybody dishing out cash for the opponent it might be scary but if God be for us who can be against us I may not be able to beat this disease on my own the doctor may have told me that this disease has my life in its hands but if God before us, who can be against us? I may not be able to conquer this addiction. It's, I've been in this for 30 years, for 10 years, whatever it might be. I may not be able to keep my heart clean. I may wander astray time and time again, and I can't keep my head clear of these thoughts. I may not be able to repair this relationship. I may not be able to repair this relationship I may not be able to defeat my demons. I may not be able to feel peace in my life. I may not be able to find joy in this storm. It's not possible for me. But Jesus goes before me. And he has already won the victory over all of those things. And whatever that situation is that you're in today, Jesus Christ goes before you. He has the victory in his hands and he's waiting to give it to you. So after David talks like this, Saul agrees to send him out there. And he says, okay, David, sure, you got this. You seem confident. You seem like man on fire. Uh, So let me me give you my tunic. So David puts on that tunic, and he says, here's my armor. This is the best armor that we've got in the whole army, so go for it. It's not as good as uh, Goliath's maybe, uh, and it might be a little big on you. But go for it, David. And he says, here's my helmet. Boom. Now you're protected. This will give us our best chance against this guy. And here's David's response. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 39, the second half of it. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistines. David didn't care. Armor, no armor, it doesn't matter because the battle belongs to God. So he, he looking at himself, he doesn't see the same thing. Saul, Saul still sees, okay, I mean, you're confident, man. You got some good stuff on the inside, but I'm still looking at a small dude here. Uh, here's, here's my armor. I'm prepare you the best I can. At least we won't have to go into battle. If we lose, we're going to submission to them. It was probably going to happen anyway. It's been 40 days right now, so we need to get this over with. Go for it, David. Here's my armor. And David says, I mean, okay. And he dresses in this, walks around, right, and says, uh, no, not happening. I look like Frankenstein out here. Uh, and so he takes it off, and he grabs his own things. He grabs the things that God had already uh, given him to do, that the, the things that he had already been doing for God. His, his staff, he grabbed those stones because that, that's what he was using to protect his sheep, the, um, the sling and the stones. Put him in his shepherd's bag. Okay, this man's got the whole shepherd outfit. And with sling in hand, approaches the Philistine. Now, here's the deal. You can't put out fire with fire, right? And in our case, you can't put out mortality with mortality. Mortality cannot get us the victory here. Because we're trying to capture eternity. We're trying to, to, to gain over that. We're trying to step over death, right? We're trying to, to get past all of that. And, and that's all we have. All we have is sin and death. That's, that's all we bring to the table. But that's not the concern here. Instead, it's our weakness that is God's strength, right? And it's David's insignificance. It's David's shepherding. It's David's staff. It's David's sling. It's David's shepherd's bag. And it's David's stature. It's his looks. It's all of that is God's glory because through David, God will be shown to be the victor. Got to view yourself the right way, too. David knew, I am protected by God. I am the sheep in this situation. The shepherd will go before me. The same way I have protected my sheep through God, God will protect his sheep his army, his people, through what I do. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistines, now it gets good, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line. Ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. To meet him reached into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Notice that God still used David's tools. It just wasn't, wasn't what man would think. It wasn't the tools man would think, right? God has given you tools. You might not think they're the tools that are going to get you the, the big promotion or the, the big victory or the, the major healing or whatever it might be, but God will use the tools that you do have. And when David trusts in the living God, the God of life, the victory is his. The God of life preserved David's life and took Goliath's life. In the same way, the God of life raised Christ from the dead. And this is victory. This means eternal life for all humankind. Here's humankind standing at the battle line. Sin, death. Christ went into that. 
into sin, into death, bearing the weight of our sins in that valley, right? The attacks of the army, the attacks of Satan coming upon him. And he did die, but the God of life, the living God, brought Jesus back from the dead. And this is our victory. This means we have victory over sin and victory over death. And now it's up to us to trust in the living Jesus to give us the victory. Because we can't conquer sin on our own. We can't win this battle on our own. We won't find peace on our own. We won't find joy on our own. We won't find purpose on our own. We won't find these things separate from God. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. All things are possible through Jesus. Because he already has the victory. We've got to trust like David. Run out there into the battlefield. Trusting that God will give us the victory. I want to read one more thing to you. From this passage. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 51. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. Big sword. Drew it from the sheath. After he killed him he cut off his head. With the sword. Hear this. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. See, a hero represents the best things that we can aspire to be. That's what a hero is supposed to be. I hope you have a hero in your life, but it, if all you have is a human hero, somebody, somebody who was human, they fell short. But a hero is supposed to represent those things, the, the greatest things we can aspire to be. If I could be anyone, I want to be that person. If my life could look like something, I want it to look like theirs. If my, if my death could look like someone's, I want it to look like theirs, whatever it might be. They represent the destiny that we want, right? If we're, what's the destiny I want? The joy, that person has joy, that person has peace. Whatever it might be, wisdom, I want that. But what good is a dead hero? Because if it all ends in death, if the hero that you love still has to face death and, and, and just it all comes to nothing, then what, what was it for, right? And not just death, but a humiliating death. Then what kind of a hero is that? And the Philistines saw this. They see that their hero is dead, the person that was going to be their savior. And when he was never... He was never supposed to die. This loss was never supposed to happen. And the Philistines knew that. But when it happened, they turned and they ran. A hero is supposed to be the, the best of us. What, what we could only hope to be someday. A champion. Goliath was their champion. A man between two. A man between two. A mediator who fights for you. Somebody who gets out there in the middle and fights for you. That's what Goliath was for the Philistines. Someone who takes on the battle for everyone. Who challenges the enemy. Says, you know what? I'm standing in here and I will get the victory. Someone who does what you cannot do, right? Goliath stepped out there and said, for my guys, I'm going to do this for them. But what kind of a champion was Goliath? He lost. So my real question is, who is your champion? Who goes before you? Who do you elect to send out there to, to conquer your foes? Who do you send out there to, to guide you along the path? To lead you through the valley? To take you past the army? Who is your champion and who is your hero? Who is the person that you aspire to be, that you want to live up to, that, that you say, that's the best that we have to offer, and he's my guy. He represents what I want to be. He represents everything that I live for. Is it the living God? Is it the God of life who possesses those things in his hands? Is it our resurrected Jesus who can resurrect us? Do we put our hope in him? Is he our champion? Is it Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God and who will bring us to be with him someday? Is that our champion? Are we going to follow the path of Jesus or are we going to follow the path 
of others? Are we going to follow the path of Satan? Are we going to follow the path that we've been on our whole lives? Are we going to, to choose our destiny to be in the valley? Or are we going to look past that and look beyond it to the victor, to the hero, to the Savior, Jesus, and instead aspire to be him, like him and to follow after him, to choose him to give us the victory because he has all the power and all the authority? Who is your champion today? That song that we sang, Champion, I want to sing it again, chorus and, and verse, or chorus and, and bridge, because I want us to all declare this together. Who is our champion? Who gets to determine our future? Who do we put our hope in? One person. That's, that's all you can choose because you can't do it. So choose today, Jesus. God is your champion. Stand with me. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority Jesus has given me victory when I open up my mouth miracles start breaking out I have the authority Jesus has given me
we don't have this authority on our own. We can't say these things on our own. We can't just declare it and it's true. It's under Jesus' authority that these things happen. David declared these things to be true. We can't be afraid of that. Oftentimes I am. I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, it, it, it's in, it, I got this. But if God gives us the authority to do so, then we can say it. And we can proclaim it. Then we can believe it because it will happen. Because he already has the victory and he's chosen to let us carry it. He's given it to us. So who is your champion? Elect Jesus today. One final passage to finish with. Please remain standing and listen to every single one of these words closely. God, may your word speak to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him, behind him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will defy those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who can stand against the armies of God? Who can tell you what your destiny, that your destiny is gone, that, that there is no future? Who can tell you that there is no hope? No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life. Christ Jesus who died who experienced death and took our sins, but more than that, who was raised to life, victorious, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us, is mediating for us, is in the middle for us, is our champion. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's in the way anymore? What army stands in the way? What valley could there be? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These trials, these tribulations, these diseases, addictions and sins and, and our own weaknesses. Shall they separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You might feel that way. But no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through, through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and declare this, declare this today. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No valley, no hill, no army, no soldier, no enemy, no demon, no Satan, shall be able to separate us. No sword, no danger. Because of Christ, because of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, you are our champion. We, we choose you today. We elect you to go before us. God, go before us and deliver us from our enemies. Hallelujah. Lord, rescue your people. The victory is yours, and we declare it over ourselves today, over this church, Lord. God, you have the authority and the power, and you have chosen to let us hold it for us to be victors, for us to be victorious over sin and death. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Jesus, you are worthy of all the glory, all the honor. Lord, I ask that you would be with your people as we go today.
God, go before them. Go before them as champion, as hero, as ruler, as deliverer, as savior, as all the things that we need. Go before us, God. And we know that nothing can separate us from your love. God, we bless you and we praise you. Lord, you are worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Amen. God is so good. So good. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Be blessed as you go.